Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and we have a really fun episode on tap for you guys today. I want to start right off the top by mentioning our guest, none other than 1994 championship winning goalie Mike Richter. A New York Rangers legend is going to join us this week and discuss all kinds of topics. We're going to talk about his playing days. We're going to talk about the current Rangers team. We're going to talk about some of the crossover comparisons that we can make between where this Rangers team is right now and where Richter's Rangers were back in the early 90s before they won the Cup. So really interesting and really cool conversation coming up with Mike Richter in just a little bit. But meanwhile, there's a lot of other stuff that we have to get to because... We are nearly one week into training camp for the New York Rangers. Today, Wednesday, September 27th, which is when we're recording this episode, is actually their first day off so far. So my hope and plan for today is just to record this podcast and then hopefully get a little time to catch my breath because it's been go, go, go for the last couple weeks, but especially the past week, I was dropping my son off at my mother's house this morning, and we usually on the car rides try to do like ABCs or, you know, counting or whatever, something that I feel like at least hopefully is a little educational. And he was very confused and distracted by the fact that daddy wasn't focused on hockey or leaving to go to hockey and kept asking me, daddy, what about hockey? Aren't you going to work today? So no, son, for one day, hopefully, I'm just going to record this podcast and be done with it. But we're certainly going to talk a lot of hockey right here. The Rangers are one and one so far in the preseason, but there's much more to talk about, I think, from Tuesday's 4-2 win over the Islanders at Madison Square Garden, first game at Madison Square Garden so far this year, and pretty decent crowd there on hand, I have to say, for a preseason game. I mean, I was looking behind me sort of in the upper levels, and those seats looked really filled. So definitely fun to be back. Got myself a prime rib sandwich, started off the new season right. And while we saw very few regulars make the trip to Boston on Sunday for the Rangers' very first preseason game of the new season, quite a few more played on Tuesday. It wasn't by any stretch the full lineup, but it was much closer to the full lineup than what we saw in Boston. You had some regular guys who you're hoping to see get off to fast starts in Capo Caco, who scored just 15 seconds into this game, and Chris Kreider both get on the board and get some goals to get the Rangers kind of moving in the right direction and, and sort of create those feel-good vibes right off the bat. 
And you also had a couple new guys, really several new guys who I thought stood out. And I want to spend a little time talking about them here. You had Tyler Pitlick and Blake Wheeler both score. That's how the Rangers got their four goals. And I have to say, Pitlick in particular was a guy who, who jumped out to me, not just because he scored. And I've noticed this in training camp too. It's not a guy who is devoid of skill. This guy can handle the puck. I think he can chip in a little offense here and there, but he's a big player who seems to skate really well. And I was talking to him in the locker room last night, you know, as far as trying to make a a good impression on his new team. He looked like he was flying around. He was physical. He led the team with five hits. He was used on the penalty kill, really contributed in a lot of different facets. And I think that he's a guy who looks like he could be a useful piece, at least early on. We have a long way to go, but certainly looks like that could be a nice little depth signing for the Rangers. After the game, Peter LaViolette also spoke highly about Brennan Othman, who I thought had a, a pretty good game overall. He talked after the game about needing to shoot the puck more. He only registered one shot on goal, so you'd like to see him get a little more aggressive. We know that he has the reputation as a scorer, but I thought otherwise as far as his physicality. Early in the game, he lays a hit on Sebastian Ajo behind the Islanders' net, and that's a, a defenseman who's a decent amount bigger than Brendan Othman. He showed no intimidation in that situation, and a little scrum ensues, and, and he certainly didn't seem to be backing down to anybody in that situation either. So the physicality popped up. I thought that as far as making plays offensively, especially passing, he set up Kako in a two-on-one rush where Kako kind of didn't hit the puck clean and, and misfired there. Otherwise, that was a really good look for the Rangers that Othman had set up. So Laviolette mentioned seeing him attack in the offensive zone and liking that. And I also thought he was pretty responsible defensively too. So a lot of encouraging signs for Othman, who got to play on what amounted to the top line for the Rangers in that game with Vincent Trocek and Capo Caco. Mika Zibanejad didn't play, coming off a little bit of an injury, although he looks okay. We'll get more into some of the injury updates in a little while. But overall, a pretty solid night for Othman, and I think he definitely helped his cause a little bit there. You also, I think, a couple of these newly signed defensemen were guys that Laviolette seemed to, you know, really be impressed by when we spoke to him after the game. Eric Gustafson is certainly the strong, strong favorite, as I've told you guys before, to start as the left-handed defenseman on that bottom pair. We know, having played for LaViolette last year in Washington, he's very familiar with this system and has thrived in this system. And to me, he looks like a guy who's really confident with the puck on his stick, you know, seems to make the right plays, definitely will be able to chip in some offense and activate in the rush. And I also think help the Rangers a little bit with their breakouts as well, because that's been an area that they've talked about a little bit early on in camp. And it was an area where they had some issues last season. So Gustafson, I think, is going to help you there. And... A little more under the radar is Mac Hollowell. LaViolette raved about this guy after the game. He's a right-handed defenseman who's bounced around a little bit. He was in the Maple Leafs organization last year. He came up and played a few NHL games with Toronto last year and then got hurt. But I talked to a few people who said if he hadn't gotten hurt, he looked like he belonged and looked like he maybe could have carved out a little bit of a role, at least as as a depth piece for Toronto there. So Hollowell, I think we know who the top three right-handed defensemen are going to be for the Rangers with Fox, Truba, 
and Schneider. But I think Hollowell is next up on, on that depth chart right now and certainly could be one of the first call-ups in the event of an injury. And, and you heard Laviolette say some pretty nice things about him last night. Matt Rempe, a prospect who certainly by all accounts is a bit of a long shot to, to really become a regular NHL guy. He'll be with Hartford this season. But dude's like six foot seven, six foot eight, and you talk about no intimidation. He was in a big fight in the rookie game with the Flyers last week, still had a black eye from that, and then is out there fighting Ross Johnston from the Islanders, probably one of the toughest guys to fight in the entire league. And, you know, listen, Johnston certainly gave him some lumps there, but I thought that Rempe held his own and certainly earned some respect from his teammates by being willing to do that because things were getting a little heated after earlier in the game when that Offman hit happened, and then Johnston had hit Trocheck, who had injured uh, one of the Islanders players early on in the game. So there was some chippiness going on, and Rempe stepped up and stood up for his teammates, and, and you know that that's certainly going to earn him some respect, not just in the locker room, but also from Laviolette. So overall, pretty eventful night. The, the Rangers have another preseason game coming up on Thursday with the Devils visiting MSG, so our first little look at a playoff rematch. Obviously, it won't have the juice of a regular season game, but still going to be kind of interesting to see, and I, I feel like we will see a decent amount of Rangers regulars in that game. I would guess you're probably going to see more regular guys in that home game on Thursday as opposed to the road game on Friday in Long Island. So a couple more preseason games coming up here before we get to the end of the week. Meanwhile, there's been a lot to digest at this training camp so far. I had a story go up earlier this week where I wrote about what I perceive as five emerging storylines from this camp. You can check that out at loha.com slash sports slash Rangers. But I'm going to dive into some of the bigger topics here. And for me, one of the things that has absolutely stood out in this first week or so of camp is the effect that Peter Laviolette is having on this group. It's, it's pretty clear to see from the very first practice which occurred on Thursday last week. I mean, the intensity, the speed. He talked about all of these things before. So the stage was set, but he said he wanted to see the Rangers practice with pace and intensity and tenacity. And that is absolutely what we got. Not just the drills themselves, and certainly a lot of things were happening off the rush. A lot of things were happening at a really fast pace, certainly a faster pace than what I have been used to seeing the last few years with this group, but also very little downtime in between drills. I mean, they move from one thing to the other pretty efficiently. And a lot of these practices are going two hours, sometimes a little bit more than two hours. They get a break in the middle where they cut the ice with the Zamboni, but really lengthy, intense practices. There's a lot of conditioning worked in there. They seem to finish the first hour and the second hour with some kind of conditioning each time. I mean, I've seen one or two guys pulling up, you know, throwing up, all kinds of stuff. I mean, these guys are being worked pretty hard right now. And the players have said it. LaViolette has said it. They want to be pushed. He is prioritizing this identity that he keeps talking about as a hardworking team, a team that makes you your opponent earn every inch of ice that you're going to get, that that's not just something that you can click on and off when you want to, that that needs to be 
a tone that you set right now in training camp and is something that you need to continue to work at over the course of the season to really be a team that can hum at that kind of a pace once the playoffs come around. Now, can the Rangers maintain that? That That's a legitimate question. You certainly don't want to burn these guys out. And one of the bigger concerns coming out of camp so far are the injuries that are piling up. Now, it does not appear that anything that's happened so far is serious. The big scare came on Sunday while half of the team, or a little less than half the team it was, went to Boston to play in that preseason game against the Bruins. Many guys stayed back, including a lot of the regular NHL guys, and played in a scrimmage at the MSG Training Center on Sunday morning. During that scrimmage, all of a sudden, I I didn't see exactly how it happened because the play was happening a little bit ahead of it, but Mika Zibanejad was hunched over in very obvious pain. To me, it looked like he was grabbing his right arm, although another reporter who was there said that he thought he saw him maybe get clipped with the butt end of a stick. I don't know if it hit him in the arm or hit him somewhere. They called it an upper body injury, so you know it was somewhere above the waist. But Mika looked like he was in pretty serious pain, came off the ice, went straight to the locker room, did not return, and everybody was holding their breath because of all the players on this team that you can't afford to lose, Mika Zibanejad certainly ranks very, very high on that list. Now, the good news for the Rangers there is that they seem to have dodged a bullet because the very next day at Monday's practice, Mika was out there, albeit in a red non-contact jersey. But then Tuesday, I show up to see the non-game group practice that morning before I went to MSG, and Mika was out there not in the red non-contact jersey anymore, but as a full participant. So clearly he's okay. LaViolette said they're going to be very cautious and careful as far as deciding whether or not he's going to get any preseason action. I have a feeling if it's going to happen, it won't be this week. Maybe you see him get a game at some point next week, but he's practicing. Seems like things are okay with him. But meanwhile, you also have two of your other potentially top six forwards, Definitely Artemi Panarin is going to be in the top six. And Philip Heedle had been getting a lot of work there so far in camp. Both of those guys are now out with injuries. For Panarin, it's a lower body injury. And for Heedle, it's an upper body injury. We didn't see Panarin at all on Tuesday. So I don't know when it occurred. It's possible it's something that happened Monday because they held him out completely on Tuesday. But for Heedle, he was out there practicing for the first half of that session on Tuesday morning, and then didn't return after they cut the ice. So you got to be a little worried there about those guys. LaViolette said they're hopeful. It's short-term. They're hopeful. It's day-to-day, but we really don't have a lot of information on those two right now, and obviously losing either one of them would be a big blow for the Rangers. So while I think the, the intensity of these practices and the way that the team is really attacking and going about their business in an ultra-focused way right now is largely a positive thing, overwhelmingly a positive thing. You certainly have to be a little concerned about these little, what you hope are just bumps and bruises and minor injuries that are happening because you you want to make sure that you don't lose anybody significant and you want to make sure that you go into the season feeling 
fresh. So we'll see if maybe they take their foot off the gas pedal just a little bit as we get closer to the season. But again, both Peter Laviolette and Chris Drury have stressed that they think that the Rangers need to embrace this hardworking mentality and try to maintain it throughout the regular season. Now, is that going to mean two-hour practices all season? Certainly not. Those practice times, I'm sure, once the season starts and, and probably even as we get later into training camp, are going to be cut down. But you know, right now, it's all systems go and the engines are revving really high. And you just keep your fingers crossed if you're a Rangers fan that these injuries aren't significant. Overall, though, I have to say that it's really hard for me at this stage. It's it's super early, and we still haven't played a regular season game yet, so I reserve the right to change my opinion on this. The results will ultimately be what matters here. But it's it's hard for me not to view what we're seeing right now as an upgrade. I do believe that this kick in the tail that the Rangers are getting right now from Peter LaViolette, and we're going to talk about it a little bit with Mike Richter as well because he knows LaViolette pretty well. I do believe that this is what they needed. And this is, I think, putting them in a better position to succeed than the hands-off approach, the pretty relaxed approach that we saw from Gerard Gallant the previous two seasons. I think at first, the freedom that the players felt with Gallant, who really kind of stayed out of their way and you know didn't really do a whole lot of disciplinarian kind of things and, and didn't really bother players, especially off the ice, kind of let them live their lives, let them do their thing, let them police themselves. I think at first there was a freedom associated with that that gave the Rangers a boost and that the players really appreciated. And I also think that when it came to the system, that Gallant played, which I think a lot of people will tell you is a pretty simplistic system that the Rangers were enjoying that for a while. But there came a point where they needed more. They needed to be pushed more as far as practices, as far as off-ice conversations and, and leadership and those sort of things. And I also think that from a system standpoint, they needed to be able to adapt and adjust. And you always heard Gallant talk about we aren't going to worry about what the opponent's doing. We're just going to worry about playing our game. But there's different types of opponents and different types of teams that you're going to see over the course of the regular season. And I think that strategically planning how best to beat this team versus that team is something that to take this team to the next level, they're going to need. And I think we're seeing more of that with LaViolette. A lot of the players seem really excited about this system. It's aggressive. It's fast-paced. It relies a lot on puck possession. Defensively, you're going to see them be aggressive with the forecheck, but this left wing lock, which I won't get too into the weeds about here on the podcast, but I wrote about a lot over the summer and I would encourage everybody to read that. It's going to really make it difficult for teams to transition through the neutral zone against the Rangers. And Laviolette talked about this. In some situations, you're going to see that left wing lock press forward, play the puck, flip possession back in the Rangers' favor. But there's also going to be times, Laviolette said, where they're not quite as aggressive and they, and they sit back a little more and they try to clog those passing lanes a little bit more. And that's going to be a thing that players are going to have to adjust to, where sometimes you're going to press forward a little bit more, sometimes you're going to sit back more and clog those passing lanes, and it's going to be a situational adjustment. Panarin is a guy who also spoke glowingly about 
the offensive system here where you're going to have all five skaters activating and where a lot of teams like to cycle the puck low down by the goal line. Laviolette likes to cycle the puck a little bit higher up near the blue line, which gets the defenseman more involved. You're going to see a lot of drop passes. You're going to see a lot of movement. You're going to see more action, I believe. And I think for some of the skill players, that's a pretty exciting proposition. So all of this adds up to a spot where the Rangers are, are, you know, feeling pretty good about where they're at. Obviously, again, at this early stage, there's going to be a lot of enthusiasm. There's going to be a lot of optimism. They're getting that jolt that you want them to get from this new head coach and this new coaching staff. I think the new coaching staff has their fingerprints all over this. It's a much different looking and a lot of ways more dynamic coaching staff than what we've seen the Rangers have in the past. And I think overall, this has been a positive for the Rangers and the players seem pretty excited about it. I mentioned last week, the roster itself feels very close to being set. I really do think that 21 of the 22 spots on this roster are pretty well accounted for. And Laviolette acknowledged as much this week when he was asked that question, but what's up in the air right now is the lineup construction. The defensive pairs on the first day of practice, everybody kind of had their eyes wide because we saw them start camp with Keandre Miller and Adam Fox on one pair and Ryan Lindgren and Jacob Truba on the other. And everybody was like, wow, is Laviolette really going to make that switch? Every day since then, it's been back to normal. It's been Fox with Lindgren and Miller with Truba, which is what we're so used to seeing these past three seasons. I do believe that that is how the Rangers are going to open the season. And I do frankly believe that that's how the players, especially I think Fox and Lindgren, would like to open the season. Those two guys have had so much success together. And even from talking to Adam Fox about it last week, you know, he definitely sounds like if it was up to him, that's probably his preference. But they're open to trying new things. And Laviolette said this, that, while you definitely at times are going to see the traditional old, whatever you want to call them, pairs, that he wants to maybe pick his spots within a game where he might switch it. If it's a, an offensive situation and he wants two defensemen who are going to be aggressive offensively, he'll probably put Fox and Miller together. If there's a defensive situation where he wants to throw that Bash Brother combination of Lindgren and Truba out there, you're probably going to see that happen as well. So he wants them to be willing to, to try that at certain points. But I do think that you're probably going to see the regular pairings, you know, at least opening night when lineups are, are rolled out there and all that. You're probably going to see the old pairs. That's also what we saw on Tuesday night at the Garden. But he said... He, he gets why people always want to have that setup where you have an offensive defenseman paired with more of a defensive stay-at-home guy, but he said he also wants them to, in certain situations, switch that up. So that is where it sounds like they're heading with that. But as far as the forwards, that's where there's a lot more intrigue. There are strong hints, I think, so far about what the top line and the fourth line are going to look at. We've seen Kreider, Zabatajad, and Lafreniere, who has pretty much exclusively played on the right wing so far in this camp. We've seen those guys get a lot of time together, and that certainly seems to be the front-running combination right now for the top line. And we've also seen a fourth line play a lot together of Barclay, Gaudreau, 
Nick Benino, and Tyler Pitlick. Those guys are really effective against the Islanders on Tuesday night. Laviolette raved about them after the game. And so you have to feel like there's a good chance that that will be the trio on the fourth line for opening night. And so what that leaves is questions as far as the middle six and what will the second and third lines look like. And I think that that is very much a work in progress right now. Heedle was getting a lot of time on the second line with Artemi Panarin before both of those guys got hurt this week. So I felt like maybe that was the direction LaViolette is leaning. And as you guys have heard me say before, I'm very intrigued by that. I think that that feels like the right way to go to try to unlock some some space and maybe set Panarin up to get more assists with the shooting type of a center like Philip Heedle. And especially with the way that, that Heedle can push things with his speed. So Assuming those guys are healthy for opening night, I think there's a decent chance that they're together. Who their right wing is going to be, we've seen them play with Wheeler a little bit. We've seen them play with Kako a little bit. So that kind of is up in the air. And then what you have for potentially the third line is I think Vincent Trocek as the preferred option for whatever you want to call it, the matchup line, the checking line. I asked LaViolette about that last week, and he certainly seems to prefer having one of those defensively responsible lines that he can throw out there for a big defensive zone draw or in a key defensive situation. He acknowledged as much. I think he wants certain lines to have different responsibilities instead of just trying to balance them all. So I think there's a good chance you see Trocek in that role. And then, you know, who do you play with him? Well, if Gaudreau is on the fourth line, I think that means Jimmy Vc probably has to be on the third line. And I do think that Vc is having a pretty strong camp so far. And then it's a matter of, is it Wheeler or is it Kako as the right wing on that line? And if the goal is to make that line as strong defensively as possible, it might end up being Kako. Kako was out on the PK again on Tuesday night. Kako's defensive metrics the last couple seasons are really good. And LaViolette has has made it sound like he's encouraged by the defensive work that he sees from Kako. So I'm not sure, especially in that middle six group, exactly what it's going to look like right now. I think we're going to see a few different combinations still in the coming days. But it's kind of exciting. It's definitely intriguing. And there's a, a lot of different experimentation going on right now, which is what LaViolette told us he was going to do, and he's certainly been true to that so far. Last thing I'll touch on before we get to our interview with Mike Richter is this final sort of theme I've sensed so far in camp. And that is this hunger that I feel like is very prevalent in the locker room right now and and feels different from last year. Now, don't get me wrong. The Rangers got a taste, a strong taste of success two years ago when they went to the Eastern Conference Final. And obviously last year, everybody was itching for another chance at a playoff run, and they felt like they were really close. But the feeling at that point was, okay, this is a young, dynamic team that's arrived ahead of schedule, and the bar has been raised. Expectations are really high now. And with that came some pressure. I think right now what I'm sensing is that this group because of the way that they went out in the first round last season, they've been humbled and they are very, very anxious for a chance at redemption. I've had conversations with guys who I think it's going to be really interesting to see mentally 
how they recover from what they felt like wasn't their best showing last year. Igor Shosturkin is one guy who I wrote about. I think he's on the upswing right now very much because he felt like he was putting too much pressure on himself and allowing frustration to really get to him for a large portion of the regular season. But he sort of, it clicked for him later in the season where he started to let loose a little bit more and not sulk as much and just really embrace it and have a little bit more fun and get back to himself. And we saw that certainly at the end of the regular season and in the playoffs. And when we spoke to him last week, that was his message that it was a big learning experience for him last season, as far as the mental side of things and learning how to deal with those frustrations. And he seems to be in a good place right now. Panarin, on the other hand, there's a lot of doubt there right now. He is incredibly frustrated with how his last two playoffs have gone, especially last season. He's feeling the pressure. It sounded like he spent all summer thinking about that. It's kind of almost morbid, but he said he didn't even spend a whole lot of time with his family because he was he was a rink rat. He was working out. He was reviewing video of last season. I mean, he poured himself into the offseason, it sounds like. And he's a guy who doesn't want to talk about it too much, although, you know, I give him credit because he doesn't hide from the reality that he he was a letdown last season for himself and for a lot of people in the playoffs. I know Rangers fans have been pretty hard on him, but he's being very hard on himself and seems like he is very determined to, to try to overcome that. And I've also sensed a heightened focus from a lot of the veterans, guys like Jacob Truba, Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, Vincent Trocek. I think these guys have all over time, as they've grown older and spent more years in the league, just sort of wrapped their minds around, hey, we only have so many kicks at the can here. And we've got the team that we feel like is capable of doing something special right now. And we don't want to waste those opportunities. So it feels like their mindset right now is attack the moment. Be the best that you can be right now because you never know how many opportunities you're going to get to really be in that championship conversation. And when you combine that with this jolt that we've seen them get from LaViolette and the intensity and the speed that they're playing with and the way that they're practicing, that might be a good formula. I'm, I'm sure that's what the Rangers are hoping. And it seems like it's sort of this perfect storm right now of a, of a demanding coach who's going to push them with a group of guys who are really, really hungry to exercise the demons of last year and give themselves the best chance possible of success this season. Because it's not like wait till next year anymore with this team. It's, it's a very much we got to do this right now feeling in that locker room. All right. With that, it's been a long opening segment, but there was just so much I wanted to get to from the first week of training camp. So I apologize if I was a little too worried for you there, but hopefully we touched on a lot of topics you wanted to hear about. But now let's get to a guy who knows a whole lot about winning championships. The last guy who was part of that team that did it here and was the netminder for the Rangers back in 1994, Mike Richter. <laughs> Now let's welcome into the show a man who needs no introduction for Rangers fans. He spent all 14 years of his NHL career with the Blue Shirts, including playing a pivotal role in their last Stanley Cup back in 1994. He's now doing important work to combat climate change as the president of Brightcore Energy. And of course, I'm talking about Mike Richter. So Mike, 
Welcome in. Thank you so much for making the time because it sounds like you've been busy lately. Uh, busy. Yeah. Thanks, Vincent. Great to be here. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's exciting and, and fairly busy. Um, you know, still a fan of hockey, um, but my day to day is is the president of Brightcore Energy and we're doing a lot in um, hopefully trying to solve climate change and just make companies run more efficiently uh, through energy. Yeah, I mean, my my loose understanding is that you guys are focused in New York City, New York City buildings specifically, and trying to make them, as you said, more efficient, more yeah. environmentally sound. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? And, and I'm curious, how, how did you get into this? Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. I guess I'll start with the last question first. I've always had a bit of an interest in it. Of course, you know, during your playing days, you have a lot of time waiting for games to get going between workouts and whatnot. So I read a lot about it, and it's just it's pretty obvious kind of trend. There's more people, there's more um, demand on on limited resources. So there's going to be higher prices. And if you can find a way to be more efficient with those resources, it's a good business model. I've got three boys. And as you know, you, you go to your house and everything's plugged in from cars to computers to phones. So the demands on energy in particular is really high. And uh, it's becoming a, a real kind of destabilizing thing and so if you can find ways and it's this is off the shelf technology so i've had this interest in it i partnered with two other guys that have a great background on wall street that really understand how to underwrite these things and we've hired tremendous engineers and we just go into the commercial industrial buildings and just very basically we make their energy systems work better it could be an led light bulb it could be solar panels it could be as sophisticated as as a control system for a geothermal ground source heat pump that enables our HVAC to work, you know, 50 to 60% better than what's in there now. And we all have houses and we all pay bills. And the idea that we're selling is more efficiency in terms of your operating costs means lower costs. And, you know, how's it related to my playing days? I guess, you know, efficiency is the name of the game whenever there's competition. If I'm more efficient than you at Running, I'm going to get to the ball first and be a better soccer player. If I'm a more efficient goaltender, you know, we have the luxury here in New York watching Hank all those years and Shesterkin now. These guys are efficient in net. They get from point A to point B. They read the play well. They're going to make more saves. So competition always puts a premium on efficiency, and that's what we're doing in the energy space. Yeah, that's really cool stuff. Really important work. I, you know, some of the unpredictable weather we've seen recently and all these trends that you're touching on. I mean, it's definitely stuff that it's going to be really important for us to to try to be proactive about moving forward. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, look, in the end, we're selling savings. So, you know, it's it, the environment's got so politicized, but performance is performance. So both sides of the aisle agree. I want to, I want my business to run better. I want better employees and I want better transportation. I want a better operations for my building. And that's that's where I think we kind of hit a mark now where it, it goes beyond sort of the, the 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 memes that are out there and we're just selling savings. Re really cool stuff. So do you still have time to watch hockey? I'm sure you do. All the time. You know, someone just asked me, I was at John Stark's golf tournament yesterday uh, up here in Westchester where our offices are. And, you know, do you miss playing? I'm like, man, if I could, I'd be playing now. Like, I don't know a player that... Uh, you know, isn't a fan first. Um, they're fortunate enough to be able to play as kids and then through high school and into college and then off into the pros. And, you know, at some point, someone taps you on the shoulder, either through injury or just you're aging out. It's time to hang them up. But if you could play forever, you would. And, you know, you start as fans. I'm still a fan now. Every chance I get, I've got two uh, boys playing in college. I watch them. 
But the pro game right now is so good. The product that's on the ice is so superior than any time in, in the history. And I mean every position. Mobile defensemen, incredible goaltending, uh, the skill level in the forwards from the top player to the bottom player is awesome. So it's it's a great product. Yeah, I watch everything I can. I, I know you still follow the Rangers very closely. We're about a week into training camp now, so I've been immersed in it this past week especially. And it's an interesting time with the team right now okay. because – Two years ago, they go on that run to the Eastern Conference Final. I think everybody felt like they had kind of arrived ahead of schedule with that young core that they had. Expectations were higher last year. And, and you know, the, at least as far as how, you know, deep into the playoffs they went, they take a, a step back there. And now there's a real hunger around this team. And, and there's this sort of the bar has been raised. It's not just about making the playoffs anymore. Now it's about chasing the cup. And, and I'm curious where you stand on, on what you see with this team going into the new season. I love this team for a couple of reasons. Number one, just their personality. These are good. Uh, I've gotten to meet a, quite a few of them. Um, great leadership um, f- from the veterans. Um, great, young, skilled, hungry, young guys. That's a really good combination. But I do think um, they've been well coached over the last five years when this team has roughly been together. And it keeps kind of improving. Um, the coaching staff that's in there now is excellent. These are these are proven teachers and you need teachers for young guys um but they're proven winners as well which is not a small thing um they're going to bring a level of discipline and um and and focus to this team and accountability that's really just vital and you know Peter Levelet talks about both skills and and grit and you have to have both if you're going to be successful um but I I just like the makeup of the team and it does start in goal um Shesterkin's unreal Mike Quick you cannot say enough things about this goaltender. He has flown under the radar as a veteran goalie, a backup goalie. Uh, what a career the guy's had. He's still an amazing athlete, and you need that. Every point counts. So he is going to really help backstop them. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of good things to say. I'm, I'm you know, kind of – it's it's a little biased. <laughs> I do uh, yeah. Ranger blue, but I don't sleep on this team. This is a very, very good team. Are you familiar at all with Laviolette? Have you had many interactions with him? Yeah, I, I've known him for many, many years. I played in the Olympic team in 88 with him. I played in the minors with he and Tony Granado, and we're all part of the Rangers organization, young growing up. He had a great leadership ability as a young guy. Um, he understands the game really well. He had a hell of a work ethic as a player, so he brings that and instills that across the organization as as a leader. Um, this guy knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. His assistant coaches are excellent. So, look, it it is a competitive, hard place. I, I'm talking about how great the Rangers are. There's 10 other teams that can you know, almost say the same thing. It, it is as competitive uh, as, as a landscape right now through, across those 32 teams as I've ever seen. So nothing's guaranteed, but there's no question this is a well-run program and they're talented, hungry, professional players within it. Nothing's guaranteed, though. So injuries, fortune, um, just how they get off to a start, you know, you you get off to a little bit of a shake at start like we did in 94. You have to claw your way back in there just to get to 500. So, yeah, um, but this is a compelling team and and I, I, I can't say enough good things. So, yeah, I got my pom-poms on for them this year. Uh, Laviolette, it's been obvious to me this first week of camp when you talk about accountability, when you talk about discipline, the intensity of the practices has clearly been ramped up. I mean, he's pushing these guys right now. And I think that that's what 
what they a lot of the players have said they feel like they need. And, and I know Chris Jury feels that way as yep. well. So, so that's been, to me, one of the most glaring things early on in training camp. And, and you also touched on Igor. Now, we know there's a lot of talented players on this team. But to me, and I think to a lot of people, he's he's the backbone. He's the most important player on this team. He's the guy that's most capable of carrying them for stretches, as, as we've seen him do. I know he felt like last year. He wasn't thrilled with his consistency, and, the, and there were more ups and downs, certainly, than we had seen the previous season. Yeah. I'm curious for you. I mean, I mean, I know you've had a chance to spend some time around him. Yeah. You, your impressions of him, uh, and, and also what stands out to you when you watch him play? I Just greatness. How do you go from a player like Hank to this guy? You know, I mean, that's just good scouting and, and great training, right? Uh, Benoit Lair is just a supreme goaltender coach and a really good teacher himself. He understands the difference between different players, their skill set, and their weaknesses. And everybody's got weaknesses, right? Every organization has weaknesses. And, you know, part of excellence is is understanding those things and addressing them. You know, make your weaknesses a strength if you can and, and improve your strengths where you can. And I, I think Peter brings that discipline across the organization. I think the individual players have that. Sturkin's a guy that's come here with a great resume, um, did not disappoint. I mean, all the guy does is just win. He reads plays so well. He's, you know, we talked about efficiency early. He really, really is efficient in net. He understands and anticipates better than almost anybody I've seen, particularly at a young age. Um, and he, maybe he has to. He's not a huge, huge player um, physically, but he fills the net so well because he's reading the play so well. I mean, he I played, you know, with Brian Leach for so many years and it was just unbelievable watching him anticipate and be in the right place at the right time. So he didn't have to out wrestle a guy like Eric Lindros. He could anticipate the play and break it up before it happens. And Shostakin's a bit like that as a goalie. He really reads the play well. You know, all great players have that ability. Um, you know, Gretz certainly did as a forward. And, and there's some supremely talented players like, you know, Panarin on the Rangers that do that. I, I, I think he had a hell of a year last year. You are going to meet with frustration and challenges uh, as an organization, as a player. And it's just part of the learning curve. You will get your backside handed to you here and there. Um, you're going to fall down. And then what do you do with it when you pick up those pieces is what's going to make you a, a champion or not. Um, all organizations, this is part of the development. Chris Drury's, I think, had a very steady hand and, and been patient. And you have to be because these players will develop. You know, you hear, well, you know, what about the young guys? We have some great draft picks. They are great. And they are continuing the progression. And I think these guys, you know, are contributing in a way that they hadn't the year before. Um, and they'll continue just to they'll be the lifeblood of this organization with a steady hand from the from the vets. Back to your question of Sisterkin, I, I think he's just a real rare talent. And I think he's mar marries that with the discipline that he's shown across um to improve. And um with Benoit there, it's the kind of the sky's the limit with this guy. And you know, I it's not fair for me to be sitting on the couch saying, oh, he's just gonna rip up the league. But he is that good. And he's I, I what he's done in the last few years for this organization has been phenomenal. And I would count last year. I think he was excellent. Um, but if he's hungry and feels like he, you know, can can improve his play, that's nothing but a good sign for this organization. It's been interesting speaking to him so far in camp. 
he he's talked a lot about the mental side of things of, of not allowing himself to get consumed by the yeah. frustration and, and sort of just, you know, try trying to enjoy it and trying not to put too much pressure on himself. And, and he feels like that will help him perform better. And I'm sure as a goalie, you can relate to that because a lot of times, you know, you're part of a team, but I'm sure you do put a lot of blame on yourself when things don't go the way that you'd like them to go. And, and overcoming that is something that I, especially for a young player, I'm sure, you know, you evolve in that sense over the course of your career. Yeah. And evolve is the right word, Vince. I got, look, he's a great player. What makes him great is having a standard. Not that Peter Lavalette gives him, not that Benoit, Benoit gives him, you know, his goalie coach or the fans give him. It's it's inside himself. He has a standard that should be higher than anybody else's. Um, Hank had that, you know, all great players have that. But all players can struggle with it too. If I have an expectation of myself up here, well, until I have a perfect game, I'm not meeting that expectation. And what do you do with that? Because it can start to consume you and it can start to have you go the wrong way. So there's a real balance that you have to achieve in terms of huge expectations, absolute demands on yourself in the face of both success and failure, right? So when you go on that five-game winning streak, do you show up at the rink and say, hey, I've arrived? No, go get the sixth win. But what happens when you lose five in a row? You know, can you still talk to the press? Can you still relate to your teammates? Are you still putting in the effort or are you giving up or pointing fingers? And I think that that balancing act is something that comes with maturity, you know, frankly. And I think he's matured in front of our eyes. He came with a high level of it. But you can be your own worst enemy if you're letting, you know, perfection uh, the demand to have perfection get in the way, right? You're letting one go and you might have lost. It's okay. Um, you know, I, I really got to know and appreciate um, Marty Bodor. He was a lot more of a loose guy. And there were games where he's like, no, it wasn't good. Hey, they beat me. They're better. Scrape it off. Keep going. All mm -hmm. that matters is the next game, the next save, the next period. And if you can bring that level of intensity to it, that's crucial. If you're worried about what you just did or the losing streak that you have, no, man, focus on right now. And I think that comes with age, but I, I love where he is. I love the demands he puts on himself. Are are there things you observe now when you watch that wow you as far as how the goalie position is played compared to when you were in the league? Yeah, um, across the board. First of all, the skill set in the league, you know, of the 750 players or whatever it is in that league, from top to bottom, you know, I've always said, you name me the top player. Back when Wayne Gretzky played, Dave Schultz was still in the league. And, you know, Dave had his role, but, you know, having high skill level wasn't one. Now, you name the top player, the bottom player is, is an inch away from him. There is no sleeping. There's no bad team that you can coast in and expect to win by five goals. You don't come prepared. You find me the worst team in the league and they will hand your backside to you on a platter if you don't come with your A game. And that's true shift in and shift out, right? Like the fourth line, you know, in quotes on a team can still score goals. They can still shut down offenses. They can still take on a Connor McDavid or whoever you decide is the best player. They can, they can have a real effect in a game. They're not just a guy that's a role player out there. So, I'm so impressed with the skill level across the league. There's kind of no secrets. Everybody can skate. Everybody can shoot. They can handle the puck and they play as a team well. Um, that means the goaltending and the defending for defensemen 
have to be so much better with the skill set across, you know, the top, well, you know, all players in the league. And look at the goals that are scored. You know, you'll get some slop early in the season, but as as the league, you know, goes through its season and you start revving up for playoffs, the corners that they're picking, the goalie leans just a little bit, doesn't anticipate properly the traffic that's in front of the net. Watch Kreider. He's hitting pucks out of the air that are five feet, you know, going 90 miles an hour, and he's tipping them the other way. He's tipping them into the pads in order to get a rebound because the goalie's so good and then get the rebound on that score. It's almost a pass to himself. The game's gotten really sophisticated. The skill sets through the roof and the accuracy and the anticipation of goaltenders, whether you're 6'4 or 5 like Vasilevsky or a bit smaller like Shesterkin, you have to be on every shot, every night. It's so exacting. And that's what's so impressive to me because there is no, you know, there's not a period, there's not a game, there's not a shift that you can take off. The margin for error is definitely very thin. You know, Mike, one thing that's been on my mind uh, as we, you know, kind of get toward the end here in the lead up to this interview is, and we touched on it a little bit, the the journey that your teams went through to ultimately become champions and and how that might compare to the current team. I I believe it was 89 to 92. You guys made the playoffs every year, but never made it out of the conference semis. 93, you missed the playoffs altogether. What do you remember about the frustration of that time period and, and how it ultimately got you over the hump? Like those those trials and tribulations, like how necessary in your mind was that to ultimately get you to the promised land? Yeah, great question. It's 100% true. Look, I'm building a small business here. We went from 15 to 100 people. You're going to meet challenges along the way. And it's just part of the development process. There is a reason why Morty Brodeur or Henrik Lundqvist or Mike Richter or anybody is better at 35 than they were at 25. And that's called experience. You get better if you're putting in the time, the effort, the focus that is needed to be a top player or a top performer in any pursuit. You learn from those mistakes. You course correct. Um, you continue to, to bolster the things that you know got you there, but you better improve because your competition is. And the setbacks and the improvement is not linear. You just don't keep going up every time. There's setbacks and there's, it's not a straight line. It's what I guess I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the, you know, from Google, Apple, all the big companies to all the great players, they have their success. They may have shot way past expectations early. And then you go, what happened to that guy? What happened to that team? They were so good. And then they bounce back and they take the league by, you know, storm, you know, we won the president's trophy in whatever it was, 92, and didn't make the playoffs the next year. That's a that's a big gap. That's a, a big lift up and a big fall back. And I can remember Mark Messier saying they did the same thing in Edmonton, did not make the playoffs the year they started that incredible run. It is part of the learning curve, and you better damn well learn how to deal with uh, failure. And it's just part of the equation. But what you do with it, you know, kind of separates the men from the boys a little bit. Um, so I don't have a problem that they didn't meet their expectations last year. Don't forget, those expectations were so high because they had blown past them the year before. So I, I, I think for them, just like Sir Sturkin on an individual level, they just keep their eyes focused where they are. They're getting great experience and keep the nose to the grindstone and great things are going to happen. So I, I just think it's part of the pro- progression to be a, an elite team. 
was 93 the low point for you? Do you remember, you know, yeah. when the frustration kind of hit the fan for you guys? 100%. And, and as a player, you're going to have your ups and downs, but there's nothing that eats you alive more than feeling like you didn't come through for the 20 guys in the locker room or for the fans that support you every where you have expectations, they have expectations and they weren't met. And let's face it, you know, our expectation every year is to win the cup. Once you taste that, coming in second doesn't really appeal to you. you that is your goal. And you have to figure out how to process that when when even you do come in second or, you know, you, you do miss the playoffs. It's not a good feeling. When you play a team sport, there's no better situation than 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 that family, that tightness that you have and sharing victories with those guys is an amazing thing. They become your family an extension of, of, you know, it's, it's so personal locker room and even the fans get to be part of that. But the flip side is it's so bitter when you don't meet those expectations and you're going to taste both across your career and you want to diminish the, uh, the latter as much as possible. But I, I just think that um, those things, you know, for the rest of your life, they stick with you. The, 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 the losses you have or the, or the misses that you have, they burn a hole in your soul. And then, you know, the victories just become what you're supposed to do every day. And and that, I think that fuels you. That hatred of losing is a very, very important component of learning how to win. And it probably made 94 feel all that much sweeter. I'm sure when that comes up, the first thing most people, it, it, well, you tell me, is the first thing that most people ask you about the Pavel Burry uh, save on the penalty shot? Is that the first thing? Well, I mean, as, as a, I mean, it was a really cool moment. And back then there were less, breakaways altogether or less penalty shots altogether. And, you know, in, in a, in a final, in a pivotal game and a pivotal moment in that game. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a big, great moment, but you know, once that thing's over, you scrape it off, whether you saved it or not, you better get ready for the next shot because letting the next one, is not going to help your team much. So it's, it's kind of part of the building a, to, toward this great climax. And I just, the sense of satisfaction um, that year on all of your efforts for your whole life from, you know, that summer, the last game of the season in 93, how bitter you felt getting through injuries, working hard, getting a plan in training camp, um, getting through ups and downs of the season, a lot of emotions there, the discipline that it takes, and then finally winning, um, you know, playing against great teams that are playing their best. Um, that sense of satisfaction, there's nothing like it in the world. And you you will you will work your whole life to taste it again. And and it's it, part of what makes it so satisfying. It's like this is what our goal was. We stated this and we came through for the guys in the locker room, for your family, for the fans, for New York. Um, that's a really incredible um feeling and moment. And um yeah, that that that's what stands out to me is that you kind of, yeah, the the crest on the front. New York we represented the city in the way that we know we're capable and what we've always wanted to do. Um, so I think these guys are doing a great job representing New York, and their goal is the same. It's not an easy road, but it it's what makes it stand out in your brain for the rest of your life. Awesome, Michael. I really, really do appreciate the time. Uh, thank you so much. This has been great. I, I definitely wish you best of luck with everything with Bright Core Energy. It sounds mm -hmm. like you guys are doing some really good work and some really important work. So 
thank you again for carving out a little time in your day and, and good luck with everything moving forward. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Vince. It was awesome. And we're back. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Mike, I've had a chance to interview him a few times, been around him a few times. Just strikes me as a really thoughtful, articulate guy. And it's always nice when you meet somebody who, in my case, I grew up watching. I'm sure it goes the same for a lot of you guys. And they're down to earth and humble and generous with their time. And it's it's really kind of cool to all these years later after him being really the first goalie I remember seeing for the Rangers as a kid, now getting a chance to interview him here and really, I think, get a lot of insight on a lot of different topics. So definitely appreciate Mike taking the time to chat with us this week. Hopefully we can have him on again sometime down the line. And now we will shift gears and get into this week's Twitter questions. There was one in particular, or one topic in particular, that I saw a lot of questions revolving around. So I definitely wanted to get to one of them. And I picked this one from Nicholas Jans, who wrote, after the way Othman looked yesterday, on Tuesday he's talking about, how high do you think his chances are of making the team? Do you think he is destined to play some AHL time before coming up to the main roster? Nicholas, the answer is yes, I do. I know I've said that before, and I will say it again. I absolutely believe the plan for Othman is for him to go to Hartford to begin this season at the very least and get some experience there. And then in time, as needed, it'll have to be a combination of the Rangers having a spot open and him dictating a call up with his play. You will eventually see him here. He will get his chance to play with the Rangers. He's I think one of the few prospects in the system that you can say absolutely that guy is going to get a look, a serious look at some point in the near future. But I think although we liked a lot of things that we saw from Othman in that game on Tuesday, we need to temper expectations a little bit here. It's definitely good to see that. It's definitely encouraging. But one solid preseason game is not all of a sudden going to completely change what I believe the Rangers have been planning basically all summer. The roster, as we've talked about, is pretty much set. I think the 12 forwards that you are going to see in the lineup on opening night are pretty much set. If there were any guys in that mix that you were thinking, hmm, Maybe, just maybe, if things fall right, somebody might push that player out of a position. Tyler Pitlick would probably be the first one that would come to mind, but we just talked in the first segment about how I thought Pitlick showed really well for himself in that exhibition game against the Islanders. And I know that the Rangers signed him with the intention of using him as their fourth line right winger. So he was signed with a specific role in mind, and I absolutely believe they're going to give him a chance to play that role. And I really don't think when you look at the rest of this forward group, there's anybody that's coming out of the lineup. Barclay Gaudreau is not coming out of the lineup. 
Nick Benino was specifically signed to be the fourth line center on this team. He is not coming out of the lineup. Peter Laviolette has raved about him. They have probably a deeper relationship than Laviolette has with any other player on this team. Jimmy VC absolutely earned himself a spot last year with his play. Excellent defensive metrics, excellent all-around game, much improved defensively, a really, really smart player. I would argue one of the smartest players on this roster, so I certainly don't see him coming out of the lineup anytime soon. So it's really a question of who would you put Othman in there for at this point, and I don't think that there's an obvious answer because there isn't an obvious answer. I think that what is going to happen with Othman is he's going to go to the AHL. You hope that he performs well there. You hope that he builds some confidence there. And he touched on this last night after the game. There's a big scrum around his locker. He was obviously getting a lot of attention. And he specifically mentioned that in his mind, in order for him to get that NHL opportunity, he needs to, the quote was, get rid of his junior habits. He knows, as well as, trust me, the Rangers know that for his game to evolve to the point where they're going to trust him in all three zones, in all situations, to be a defensively responsible player on top of the offensive upside that we believe he has, and be able to handle the rigors of the NHL and the physicality and all that. We know he's willing to throw himself in there and hit and all that stuff, but not the biggest kid in the world. There's going to be an adjustment period now that he's playing against grown men who do this for a living and who are big and fast and strong. All of those things factor into the belief that the best stepping stone for him, the logical next step for him is to go into the AHL, try to build something there, try to become a high-level player at that level before you graduate to the NHL. He might do that very quickly. It might take a little bit of time. It might even take a full season. We do not know at this point, but I don't think that there is any need or desire to rush him at this point. I totally get it from the fans' perspective. You're excited Some people would argue this is the top prospect in the entire system, and you want to see him in New York on that Madison Square Garden ice. I get it. I totally do. But I think the best thing for him at this point is to make sure that you don't push him too hard too soon. If he goes to the NHL and trips up and fails and struggles, then you have to kind of rebuild his confidence. Whereas if he goes to the AHL and there he has a lot of success, he puts up some points, he does a lot of things that make you feel encouraged about where his game is at, then he'll come into the NHL rolling on a high with that confidence fueling him to hopefully perform at his best. So I think we've seen in the past where mistakes have been made in the development process and you don't want to repeat those mistakes now. So Othman, I still firmly believe, is going to start the year in Hartford. And then how quickly he comes up from there will really, I'm not going to say totally be up to him because it's going to also be dictated by how guys who are on the NHL roster performing injuries, those sorts of things. But his play, him proving himself, that will be up to him. And the sooner he does that, the sooner I think you'll see him back here. I wrote this on Wednesday morning 
and I'll repeat it here. I believe that if any of the rookie forwards are going to force their way into the lineup, it looks like Will Cooley is in a better position to do that sooner than Othman. Again, Othman is the higher upside play here, but Cooley, a year older, has a full season of AHL hockey under his belt where he had reasonable success, made the AHL all-star team, led Hartford with 25 goals. I've told you guys that Chris Knobloch, the head coach for Hartford, told me that Cooley may have been his most improved player over the course of the season. And I also know that the Rangers look at Cooley as a guy who's six foot three, six foot four, close to 220 pounds. And they feel like physically, in terms of his physical maturation, he at this stage is much more equipped to handle the type of role that he would be asked to play in the NHL than Othman probably is at this point. And we've seen it with Cooley. The evidence is right there in front of us. Peter Laviolette has spoken glowingly about him. He was kind of the hot topic the day before Othman became the hot topic because of the Tuesday night game. But Laviolette clearly thinks highly of Cooley. He praised the physicality. He praised the size. He said that he believes that there are a lot of similar traits to Tom Wilson, who we know Laviolette coached for the previous three seasons in Washington. He didn't want to put that kind of comparison on him and was like, you know, this is a young kid. Let's see, you know, let him carve his own path, that kind of a thing. But Laviolette said, if you're looking just at the traits, at what they bring to the table, he absolutely agrees with that comparison and can see the similarities. So he was raving about some of the the hits that he's seen Cooley throw so far in this camp. He was raving about his hockey sense and his hands and that he really seemed to like that he's proven himself as a scorer at the AHL level. So I think all of those things factor into Cooley, even though I would rank him behind Othman, I did rank him behind Othman as far as the Rangers prospects go, only one spot behind him. I think the Rangers look at Cooley, who's the guy that is most NHL ready right now. And that's why we've seen LaViolette at some of these practices Put Cooley with a bunch of legitimate NHL guys. One day he practiced with, I believe it was Trocheck and Wheeler. And then there was another day where he was practicing with Zabanajad and Lafreniere. So he's getting chances to play alongside guys that we know are going to be on this NHL roster. And to me, that's a signal, a clear sign that the Rangers are are happy about what they're seeing from him and trying to give him a little bit more and see what he does with it. So Cooley, I think, is very much knocking on the door. Now, again, with him, do I think he's going to make the team right out of camp? No, because we talked about the 12 forwards who are going to be there, and I don't think you're going to use a guy like that in the 13th forward role. You're you're much rather going to have him in Hartford playing on the top line, playing regularly, all situations, and building confidence that way. But I do think in the event that the Rangers need a call-up, that Cooley might be the first guy who they tap. Now, the last thing I'll say is this on this topic. If you look at the construction of the Rangers lineup, and we know there's a lot of moving parts right now, but among the forwards, that left wing spot on the third line seems to have some flexibility there as far as... who. If it's VC there right now, which maybe that would probably be my best guess at this point, 
He's a guy who you're very comfortable moving down to the fourth line in a pinch. And so if there is an injury to any of these top 12 guys because of VC's versatility and especially because of Barclay Goudreau's versatility where you know he can play left wing, center, or right wing, I do believe that if anybody in that top 12 gets hurt, and maybe even there's a chance that that's already happened with Panarin and Hedl, it's, I guess you can't rule out that maybe one of them isn't ready for opening night. Well, if that happens, then I think Cooley and or Offman could be the beneficiary. I think I could envision a situation where let's just, for argument's sake, say, and you don't want this to happen, certainly. This is kind of a doomsday scenario for Rangers fans. But let's say Artemi Panarin isn't ready to go to begin the season. Well, then, I think you could move some things around. You're going to have to elevate guys into the top six. You probably would end up moving Alexi Lafreniere back to the left side. But inevitably, I think you would plug in a guy like Will Cooley as that third-line left winger and you know move Jimmy VC down or whatever it might be. So I think that whether it's a, a left wing, a center, or a right wing that gets hurt because of the versatility of some other guys in that lineup – you're probably going to call on someone like Cooley first, I think, to maybe get that opportunity. So there's definitely a scenario where Cooley or Offman ends up in the NHL lineup pretty quickly. And I think the the quickest way for that to happen is an injury. But I think if everybody's healthy and everybody's ready to go, you're most likely, very likely, going to see both of those guys at Hartford and then probably getting a call up at some point this season, whether it's early or late depends on all these other factors that we've discussed. But I totally get the excitement about Othman. And I think a lot of it is warranted. And I definitely think, you know, if he continues to build on what he did Tuesday, that's going to be a really positive thing for him and for the Rangers. But my prediction right now remains that he's going to start the season in Hartford, despite some of the buzz and hype that we notice in these last 24 hours or so kind of circulating him. All right, let's get to our next question, which comes from Clem Fandango, who wrote, out of the kids, they mentioned Othman, Cooley, Sakura, Edstrom, etc., and probable AHL-bound players, Belzile, Mackey, Trevino, etc., who has impressed and who has not met your expectations during camp? Well, we just talked a lot about Othman, and he is certainly a guy that I would put into the category, at least based on Tuesday, of impressing. I honestly, prior to Tuesday, what I was seeing in rookie camp and in regular Rangers training camp, he wasn't popping to me in a lot of those situations where he was on the ice with all the regular guys, although he wasn't always in those situations, but Othman, I I don't think, was necessarily having an outstanding camp prior to that. I think Cooley was standing out more to me in the early going of camp before that exhibition game against the Islanders on Tuesday. You mentioned Trevino. I thought he had a really good scrimmage on Sunday. He wasn't part of that group that went up to Boston. He stayed and played in the scrimmage on Sunday and made some really nice plays, had a good primary assist to Chris Kreider, had a bunch of other opportunities, was working really hard. Interestingly, he has not gotten into a preseason game yet. He's one of the very few guys 
who has not gotten into a preseason game. I would imagine that will change on either Thursday or Friday, but Trevino is a guy who I think is pretty far down on the depth chart. Like as far as the left wingers go, Cooley, Othman, a few other guys are probably ahead of him. But Trevino remains a guy that I think you have to be somewhat intrigued by because that motor is always running high and there's certainly skill in there. It's just the size concerns and the can he handle professional hockey from that standpoint. You know, those are going to be the questions that linger with him. But I thought he had a really good scrimmage on Sunday. Of those guys who are sort of on the borderline of will they go to the AHL, might they compete for a role as the 13th forward? To me, the guy I've been most impressed with so far is Johnny Brodzinski. And I feel like Brodzinski is a guy who might not be the sexiest name for fans. He's been in the organization for a few years now, so he flies a little bit under the radar in that regard. But last year, by the time the Rangers got to the playoffs, I think if anybody got hurt, Brodzinski probably would have been the first man up. He had worked his way ahead of guys like Jake LeCision or some of those other guys in Hartford, whether it's Trevino or whoever. He, to me, Brodzinski had elevated himself to a guy that I think the Rangers really trust in a lot of situations. Fast, definitely plays with a lot of speed, versatile, can play both center and right wing, pretty good faceoff guy, solid defensively, kills penalties. The Rangers had him, even though it was a very light squad that they sent up to Boston on Sunday. They had him on the top power play unit as that right-handed shooting player in the left circle on the top power play unit. So Brodzinski is a guy who I would not be surprised at all if he makes this roster. I think Belzile and Riley Nash were obviously signed to also compete for that spot guys that were brought in over the summer, and they're very much in the mix for that. I think Belzile is a guy that the Rangers also like a lot of things he does, and Nash is a guy who they value his experience and his leadership. But Brodzinski's been here, he's paid his dues, and I think he continues to get better in a lot of ways. He's also the captain of the Hartford team, so very much a respected and well-liked guy in the locker room. So Brodzinski is a guy who has stood out to me so far we mentioned in the first segment, Mac Hollowell, I think as far as the defenseman depth is concerned, Hollowell is positioning himself where, especially if they need someone on the right side, he would be the first name called. And then I'm trying to think a little more about young guys here. You know, he's not in camp anymore, but I thought Bryce McConnell Barker in that scrimmage on Sunday really held his own. He was winning D-zone draws against Nick Benino, a really established NHL faceoff guy. And McConnell Barker, to me, is really trending up. I believe I had him ranked fifth in our prospect rankings when they came out a couple weeks ago. He's clearly, to me, the number one center in the prospect pool right now. And I think the arrow is very much pointing up for McConnell Barker. He's a guy I'm going to be paying close attention to in the OHL this season. His team is not that great. At least last year, they weren't that great. So you worry a little bit about that. But he was able to still rise above. And I know a lot of scouts liked what they saw from him last season. So McConnell Barker, I thought at NHL camp, is another guy who held his own. I'm sure I'm forgetting one or two others. But just off the top of my head, those are a handful of names that popped up. All right. Final question here comes from Adam Wees, who wrote, any particular first impressions 
he's talking about the assistant coaches now, the new guys, on Michael Pekka, Phil Housley, and Dan Muse from camp. Now, I think what the Rangers have put together under LaViolette is a really interesting and diverse coaching staff. Now, obviously, Benoit Allaire, who you heard Mike Richter talking about earlier in the show, he remains, that guy's got a lifetime pass. <laughs> the success that he's had with goalies here, I think he's going to be allowed to stay for as long as he wants. But everywhere else you look in this camp and on the on the ice for practice, there are a lot of new faces, and you're seeing some of the impacts already. Pekka, for example, is a guy that was known during his playing days, which weren't all that long ago. I believe he's in his 40s now. He's a guy that was known as an excellent defensive forward. And Laviolette mentioned him by name in a press conference the other day as a guy who he really wants to rub off on a lot of the forwards on this roster as far as the intensity that he played the game with and the way that he went all out on every shift and the way that he defended and the way that he won faceoffs. I saw him after practice the other day, specifically working with Philip Heedle on faceoffs. And we know Heedle's had a lot of issues there. He's been sub 40% most seasons in his career. It might even be all seasons. He's, he's like right around 40% for his career. But I think last year he was like 38 to 39%. So that's obviously not a number that you can sustain. And, and Heedle knows he has to get better in that area. And maybe Pekka is a guy that can help him. And I know that the Rangers are looking to him as a guy who's going to make all of their forwards more defensively responsible and really drive home this grinding, fast-paced style that LaViolette wants them to play. The grittiness that LaViolette has talked about a lot early on in camp. Pekka certainly had all that when he played. Housley is a guy who had a lot of success as a player. He's a Hall of Famer, a defenseman who put up a lot of points in his career. Go look up at the numbers. They're pretty impressive. And I know that they feel like he's a really good fit with LaViolette because LaViolette loves defensemen who are active and who push up in the rush and try to contribute as much as they can offensively. So Housley working with guys, whether it's Adam Fox or Keandre Miller or, you know, even even Jacob Truba, especially Zach Jones, some of the young guys, Braden Schneider, all of them, really. Housley is a guy who I know that the Rangers feel like because of what LaViolette is going to preach, that he's going to be a really good fit there. And he worked with LaViolette as an assistant under him, I believe, when they were in Nashville. And then there's Dan Muse, who is the youngest of that group and is a really energetic presence from what I've observed so far at this camp. He is right in there in a lot of these drills, really hands-on, really mixing it up with the players and seems to be a pretty good teacher. And that's one of the main reasons that they got him. He comes from the U.S. National Development Program, and so I think that they're going to really want him to especially work with the young players, but also just in general. He's a guy who's who's right in the middle of things, it looks like, at a lot of these practices. Now, my understanding is that Muse will run the PK for the most part. Pekka will run the power play, but Housley is going to have a hand in both of those. Housley is the associate head coach. He's the number two, clearly, next to LaViolette, and I think that's pretty obvious in a lot of these practice settings. Pekka and Muse are the guys who are really hands-on, super involved in a lot of these drills, where Housley and LaViolette are doing more oversight. Now, I will say that LaViolette in particular, when it comes to 
blowing the whistle because he wants to stop and explain or, or just jumping right in there to pull players aside and talk to them. He's very hands-on in that regard. And he's also made it clear in his conversations with us that everything is going to run through him. He's going to delegate to some degree. Obviously, these guys are all going to have their fingerprints on, on special teams in the way that I mentioned and that sort of thing. But I really get the sense that pretty much nothing is going to happen without Laviolette knowing about it and, and approving of it and being the final say. So he is empowering these coaches to some degree and certainly wanting them to work with individuals and especially individuals who he feels like can relate to them. So when it comes to the defensemen, that's Housley. When it comes to the forwards, that's Pekka. And when it comes to the young players, that's Muse. But Laviolette's fingerprints are going to be on everything because at the end of the day, I think he's really the buck stops with me kind of a coach and very detailed, I think, when it comes to all decisions that have to be made, whether it's practice plan, whether it's game day plan, whether it's lineup, whether it's system, whether it's plays that you're going to run throughout the game, whether it's anything, really all of the above, I definitely get the sense that LaViolette wants to have his hands in pretty much all of it. He even said with the goalies, while you know, as far as a technique standpoint and teaching the position, he's going to leave that up to Benoit Lair. But when it comes to the plan for who's going to start when, Laviolette also said he's going to be the guy making the final call on all of those things. Whereas I think in the past, I mean, Gallant used to always tell us, Benny would tell him who started each game as far as the goalies were concerned. I think Laviolette really wants to control as much as he can control within reason. So interesting. It's all going to evolve, I'm sure, but there's definitely a noticeable presence that's new and different around camp and an energy that's new and different around camp. And I think all of these assistant coaches are, are starting to roll up their sleeves and sink their teeth in, and they're all brought here for specific reasons. And I think, in theory, you combined all these guys and you've got a little bit of everything and that should be a good thing for the Rangers. All right. This has turned out to be a really long episode, jam-packed, as I mentioned at the beginning, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. Obviously, didn't want to cut that conversation with Mike Richter short. And with this being the first time that we've talked since I've really been able to observe camp for a week now, I had a lot I wanted to get off my chest, a lot of things I wanted to hit on. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys are doing well and gearing up. We're just a few weeks away from opening night here. Got about two or so weeks left of training camp. I've had a lot of different stories coming up in the last handful of days. A lot more coming. So please, please check those out when you get a chance. Obviously, I'm able to go deeper on, on specific topics with my writing than I am on the podcast. But we definitely went pretty deep on a lot of stuff today. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys are all staying healthy and well. I will be back next week, but until then, take care. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.